Could you give me your name first, please? Yeah, my name is Dominic. Uh, my friends normally call me Dom. Before punk, when um, when dinosaurs used to roam the earth, yeah. Um, well, I was um, I was born in nineteen sixty four. I actually started getting into chart music probably fairly early in the 1970s. I can think, I can remember the first first record I ever bought, uh, saving up for it, or nattering my mum and dad for some money to buy it. Believe it or not, um, it was Hello, Hello, I'm Back Again by Gary Glitter, which we thought was brilliant at the time. And whatever happened to him. Buying things like by Gary Glitter, David Bowie, um, like David Bowie, 10cc, and these were all bands who, you know, were probably in the charts and you sort of think, oh, that's all right, that's that's interesting. Um, what I remember then about as the 70s progressed, it was a lot of fairly mainstream stuff that I thought was a bit dull. I liked some of the uh, stuff that was in the charts that you perhaps wouldn't associate, with, well, you wouldn't associate at all with punk, but things like the Isley Brothers and um, Real Thing, Talented people and good singers, but again, not nothing I would be bothered about going to see, but I could appreciate the stuff. And I liked um, other sort of rock music as well. Um, Peter Gabriel, uh, first band, first time I ever went to a, a concert was to see him when I was 13. And um, after Genesis, it was more about rock music. It was, you know, and first time I'd ever been to see something, so it was quite impressive. And around the time when I was 13, I was living in Bradford, and to my accent. I remember there was a lad I knew who started talking about the Sex Pistols. I think the, the guy that his mum lived with was a DJ on local radio. They used to get, like, promotional copies of singles. Now, it was at a time when the Sex Pistols had released God Save the Queen. And the mystique about it all was that well, it, it was banned, so you, you couldn't hear it on Radio 1. The fact that it was banned, even at the age of 13, I thought, what's going on here? There must be something unusual about it. And I remember seeing the, the blue cover, picture of the Queen on it. I think it was Jamie Reid's artwork. Just listening to it, I thought, it's like nothing I'd ever heard before. It weren't like the Glitter Band or David Bowie or any any anything else. It was... Just such a, at the time, a real assault on the on your senses. And I remember thinking, I've just got to find out more about what what this is all about, punk music. And so I remember buying things like Record Mirror at the time, which was one of the, a bit like Sounds or Melody Maker, Enemy, Record Mirror was something that used to feature articles about a lot of punk bands. And I remember hearing about bands like The Saints, The Damned, The Clash... Not just not no because up in Bradford. Well, what would we know about that? So the time before punk was that it was you know and, and again uh, I like still like some of the stuff that David Bowie did in the nineteen seventies. Absolutely brilliant. But I suppose it then changes when you hear punk music because I could see a lot of people were really into it and you know you've you've made me think about you know about why it was and was it just the music or was it that there was something else going on? I think it was it was something very different, and it was hard to necessarily know what what it was. So I'd have been about thirteen 
when um, I um, heard about the Sex Pistols, I did eventually buy that single and bought it, and I bought Holidays in the Sun as well. Possibly a few other bits of punk music, but I didn't have a load of money. You know, it's um, I eventually got paper round and um, milk round, you know, earned money that way. So it was really being a bit judicious with what I spent my money on. Now, one album I got, I always think of them as being in the, you know, initially at least as being in the, the punk, like the word movement, but you know what I mean, that, that sort of um, genre, was the skids. That first album, I think it was called Scared to Dance, that was brilliant. I could listen to that now, you know, outstanding, really amazing talent. You know, people talk about, oh, punk bands couldn't play. I'll tell you what, they could. There was real talent there. The fact that you, they might have been playing something that was hard on the air, I mean, it still got repaired, played and uh, it was quite something to, to hear. So I'd listen to stuff like that. Did I go to many gigs? You know, I've been racking my brains trying to think what was the first punk gig that I went to. I can't be 100% certain about this, but one thing I do remember is that um, there was... Um, in fact, it's still there now, a big venue in Bradford. It's called St George's Hall. And St George's Hall is like, um, you know, it's a proper concert venue. It's lovely, lovely inside. But you get promoters putting mainstream bands on there. And one time I went to watch the Tom Robinson band. Now, I could, you know, I quite liked them, wasn't mad about them. But in Bradford, you sort of went to see whoever was being put on. So I, went, I remember going to see the Tom Robinson band and I would have been, I'm guessing about 14 or 15, something like that. There wasn't a big deal then about getting into a venue, you know, you just went. But supporting them, it says it's a support band. No idea who the support band was, so on the thing, on the ticket. But it was stiff little fingers. And when they came on, I couldn't believe it. What a raw sound. I knew immediately that everyone were going... Absolutely bonkers, you know, dancing around it. And I thought, oh, everybody else knows about them. Because I didn't. <laughs> what would I know? But my, one of my mates had got their album in flammable material. He said, oh, you should listen to it. I went to a school in, in Bradford called uh, Buttershaw Comprehensive School. There were some interesting people went to that school, but it were on massive comprehensive school on a Buttershaw Council estate. I still, I still go back there. One of the interesting things was, though, I mean, it was, you know, quite a raw time in the 1970s. It's a very political time. And I learned a lot of stuff about politics just from observing what was going on with people at school. It may be older kids at school, but also some of the teachers. And one of the teachers, it's called Mr Robinson, Jeff Robinson. Sadly, he's no longer with us. But I have to say, he was probably um, quite a major influence on a lot of things for me. He was an history teacher. He sort of kept his views out of the classroom, but we all knew he was involved with something to do with unions, whatever they did. But he was also involved with um, things like Rock Against Racism. So him and a couple of others, we, we knew that they used to help put bands on or they'd put benefit gigs on. And I was thinking, what, well, the same person who teaches me is at this gig. Anyway, and then there was one time where they did, a, I can't remember what it was a benefit for, but they... He helped put on stiff little fingers at another venue in Bradford called Queen's Hall. Queen's Hall got changed into a bar and and last time I saw it, everything shut down there. But it was a really good size venue. Good old plenty of people. There was a, what do you call it, like a balcony around. 
And there's a local band called The Negatives who supported him, if I'm remembering accurately. And they were a good band. Popular locally, always good to see them. I remember, I remember going to this Stiff Little Fingers gig. And I, I probably would have been about 14. I just thought, oh, well, band will be on. Hopefully they'll be finished by 25 past 11, which was my last bus to get back to Buttershore Estate. I'd not set out to my mum or dad about, oh, I'm going to be late, because I didn't know we're going to be late. I didn't know. You went to a gig at St George's Hall, the main venue, and, of course, everything would run to time, you know, it would finish at a certain time, but this was a different world. Anyway, they, I remember them, um, the Stiff Little Fingers came on, and, and I don't think it finished till, till about one in the morning. Again, absolutely brilliant atmosphere, and I thought, I can't leave here. Got home eventually, and all was, all was well. I think I must have walked. Walked home on my own, which would have seemed a very, very long way. <laughs> it was only about three miles out of town. I thought, yeah, I'd like to get in a band. And uh, I had a mate called Nev, Neville, Nev Cartledge. Nev, if you're listening, um, <laughs> you were an influence in a sort of way. And my mate Nev could play the guitar. He was a good guitarist, actually. Uh, and his brother was in, um, like, really unusual music. His brother, Mick, would get, like, loads of... Um, or, you know, like some really obscure stuff. Not all punk stuff, some indie stuff. And uh, occasionally, you know, you'd, you'd be playing it off to see a gig. And you think, well, who, who are they? I don't know anything about it. Now, around that time, I remember having, talking to people and we were talking about getting going to gigs and maybe, you know, records. You know, people I knew were into punk. And I remember there was this name of this band came up and just saying, God, it's a bit hard. It's they're too hard to listen to. Yeah, it is punk, but it's rough to listen to. And, of course, it was a band called Crass. God knows what happened to them. <laughs> My mate Nev Cartledge said, oh, have you ever heard Crass? Have you ever heard him play? And I'm like, no, I haven't. And he said, oh, I'll play it. Our mix got this um, album, Feeding of the 5,000. Now, I don't know if you ever had it on vinyl, but it was, a, it was 12-inch, but it ran at 45 RPM. So he puts it on record player, but and he said he said it is um, a bit harsh apparently. So he puts it on, and of course he puts it on at thirty three rpm, not realising it. And it comes on, and uh, I'm thinking, bloody hell, you're right. It is hard to listen to. I'm not sure about this. And, and then he says, "Oh, I've got it at the wrong speed, haven't I?" So he puts it on again, and it, I thought, "Oh yeah, that's better." Well, listen to that. It just had that raw sound, but it wasn't affected. You know, the, you could hear there was it was together. And I'd never heard guitar sound like that, where whatever the lead guitarist was playing, it's just very hard to work it out because it's obscured by the drums and the bass and this guy who was playing, Andy Palmer, who played rhythm guitar. I remember thinking, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to have to get that. And then I remember buying... Stations of the Crass. Always remember this. Fairly long bus journey up to Buttershaw. And I remember sitting on top at bus, top deck at bus, and um, opening the Stations of the Crass, the album, you know, fold out album sleeve, looking at some of the lyrics. And once I was able to, you know, make out the typeface and everything, just thought, Christ, this is really heavy political stuff. You know, when you're, say, 14 or 15, it's really intense uh, and I and I think maybe aside from Stiff Little Fingers you could disregard 
the clash they wrote about stuff but it was not that unapologetically brutal heavy politics is the way i've described it and it was really intense and, and listening to it and just again it was something that you would either fascinate people or would clear a room probably the latter at the time no i started work i was actually still 15 when i started work when i got a proper apprenticeship possibly when i'd started work I'm, I'm not sure but it was around that sort of must have been must have been 1980 couldn't have been earlier I don't know how we heard it, but it was probably word of mouth. We heard, oh, crass are playing in Bradford. And I thought, how come they be? I haven't seen any posters. I've not seen any anything advertising it. How do, how do you know these things? How, it's like, whoever told me, how do you know that? But um, they played um, a place which is now a Sikh temple, I believe. At the time, it was called the Italian Club, or it was renamed as the Sweatbox for the gig. And there was... Um, an Asian lad called Aki, who, who put on the gig. And Aki was interesting. I never really got to talk to him properly, but he was interesting because he was in, in a city like Bradford, where there's a large um, Asian population. He was one of very, very few Asian people that you would see at punk gigs. Um, still the case, I think. Majority of my mates were white lads, but it was largely, um, you know, lads who went to gigs and it's funny because Aki's written about this particular gig in um, I think I can't if it was one of Ian Glasper's books but he's written about it and he said he was in the toilet and he heard somebody in the um, who come in a couple of people who come to the gigs making racist remarks about Asian people I thought I never knew that but I went to that gig with my mates and we thought, oh, it'll be like going to St George's Hall or whatever. You'll have to queue up outside. You've got a ticket. You'll have to, you know, you'll have to do everything. Um, it'd like go and sit in a certain place type thing. Think again. <laughs> Think again. We went there. Thing is, because of where we were, where we're from, we thought, oh, if we can jib it to get in, you know, get in for nothing, then we'll do that. And we just saw people going in the front door. And we saw there was a side door down around the side of the building. So we just walked up to it, walked in and thought, someone's going to come out at some point and tell us to get out. Well, nobody did. And we walked through and it was like um, like a sort of corridor. And it led into the side of this, or, or near the rear of where this, um, you know, the main room. And we were more thinking, oh, we've got in for now. You know, it was only like probably a pound or one pound fifty. Some of the over that I can still smell it now. This overwhelming smell of of glue, because um, a lot of people I'm going to say now it's not something I was never into, but I knew people you know used to sniff glue and um, but I'd never experienced the smell like it until I got there. And saw a few people monged out on it, and this the room the temperature was absolutely roasting, and. Boys and girls were playing their set when we went in there. And there are all these faces. I'm thinking, well, I've never seen all these people. There are a handful of people that I might recognise. I'm still fairly young. But all these people, and, and you, you got the sense, even without talking to people, that a lot of them must have come from outside of Bradford. I was there with a, two or three mates and not knowing quite what to expect. And boys and girls obviously got a fairly hardcore um, support for them you know there's like they were a bit like Marmite didn't necessarily love them you might dislike them and Crass came on eventually 
I remember one of the women, I think it was Eve, and Nagasaki Nightmare, first of all, and I thought, oh, it's a bit more subdued. Um, they went into um, Steve Ignorance set, and I just remember that everyone bouncing up. Now, I think they played Mother Earth. You see, I can still remember it now, year, over 40 years on. Incredible, just not atmosphere, not like euphoria that you might experience at some bands or at a rave or at a football match. Somewhat more intense than that, and I can't really explain what it was. But it was like when I'd seen Stiff Little Fingers um, play, or even the Tom Robinson band, or other whichever bands I'd seen, and there was some before then, I just cannot remember who they were. You'd get the musicians moving around, the guitarists would move around and be thrashing at a guitar around. And what I noticed about the um, guitarists and bass player for Crass is they just stood there still, like looking into the middle distance. And it was almost this zen-like calmness. It was, it was, um, not sure, it wasn't unsettling, but it was very, very different because it was almost as if there was stuff a bit like, I don't know if you've ever seen Kraftwerk, the electronic man, they stand there doing very little. And it was like at the time, the, the three guitarists were stood there doing very little and um, that almost added to the intensity of it. Brilliant gig. I mean, I went to see Crass a few more times. I went to the squat gig in London at Zigzag. I ended up forming a band with a couple of people. We practised one Friday night and we were hearing that the squat gig was on. I don't know how again we heard it. And going to London, you wouldn't have got a train or a coach. Well, one of the things I noticed from probably 1981, 82, 83, 84, those early 80s years... It was much easier to, to hitchhike. And you used to see a lot of people hitching. In fact, sometimes you couldn't get a lift because there were so many people on a, on like a junction at M1. Someone just picked us up. No M25 in those days. So he said, well, where are you going? And he said, oh, Zigzag Club. He said, this bloke in his Morris Minor says, oh, I think I know what it is. And uh, I'll drive through central London, which he, he had to do. And dropped us off really near where it was. And um, I think it was meant to be at the Rainbow. It ended up being at the Zigzag. And that was an experience. It it was just some of that experience about everyone coming together. That sense of, um, I suppose, community. What look I had, I, I would describe it as um, UBF, unhindered by fashion or style. I, never, I don't think I ever, was ever into like wearing a leather jacket. I might have had a donkey jacket. I think this is the thing. If you're if you're not big on buying clothes or getting clothes, you just probably wear what you got to work in. If you're doing a manual job, you turn up at something like that. I think once we had um, a friend of ours who, who was getting married, and there was going to be loads of punks at the wedding, and we just and and he was saying something about oh you need to clear your hair, you need to do something. And I'm thinking I'm not doing that. Went to this shop. <laughs> it was like. Um, one of these shops that sell stuff that's carcinogenic, like but one of them was spray, so you just sprayed it on your hair and it was black. I mean, it ended up with my forehead and my hands being black as well. But it was all right, after five or six years, it washed out. I did go and see The Clash once, I think it was on my birthday. It might have been about either 81 or 82, and they played at St George's Hall. I actually thought, yeah, they're playing, it's my birthday, I would like to go see them. They were a good gig. They were a good band, there's no doubt about it. You know, they they were a good band. I know they were a bit of snobbery about oh, 
inverted snobbery about the clash and, and that but yeah i think they're all right and I, they're still bare listening to now they were just different in what they did bands i like to go see if i was going to make an effort to go see bands at the time it was flux pink indians love got to see them you know you'd hear about them playing somewhere obscure or they're playing in rochdale in in like a building that isn't on the map <laughs> and you go there and they were a good tight act live as well but like the message as well go to see crass so it was mainly those sort of uh, subhumans yeah uh, i was in a band called anti-system i helped form it with uh, three other lads two and we used to gig now and then uh Nogsy, phil george and we had a singer the first gig which was a bit of a shambles and like called dave damned and dave damned was brilliant because he was just like a character but he used to write all sorts of strange lyrics, you know, not about the threat of nuclear war, but I don't know, I can't really describe it. But he was uh, he was a real talent. He did some rehearsals with us. I was probably with him for about the first couple of records and then uh, about dozen, 14 gigs. It's weird thinking about it. Um, I realised that I was probably in into what I thought were the politics more than I was being in a band yeah and anti-system went on to be quite um you know popular and um and i think there's some lads still playing under that name i honestly don't know who but all the very very best to them we, we used to practice in this um like well it's like a warehouse it's all textile warehouse and it's converted into you know like practice rooms finding somewhere where you could practice but it was also you know how did you get your gear there now at one point, I did end up unwisely buying probably the, the most unsafe car that's ever been on British roads. What a nightmare. You know that, that phrase, a fool and his money are easily parted? That was actually written about me. Uh, so, you know, I can claim, that's the, my own claim to fame, that that, uh, that idiom. It ended up, yeah, we, we'd, so we'd move stuff around in this old car. It was just, it was an effort to practice. But, you know, we just got, we managed to get a few songs, did some demos, sent them off, managed to um, put a record out. You know, it's just very much of it, of the moment that that thing about, right, come on, we're going to put a record out. How are we going to do it? We'll work that out. But there was that impetus, that energy to say, let's do it. I think, I think if you're going to continue being in a band and continually come up with new ideas, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing. The DIY thing, that that DIY ethic, I thought was really interesting. That, and I, I mean, it struck me it was a lot of hard work. It's one thing I really took from it is that, yes, you can have an alternative economy, one that's based. I mean, it's nothing wrong. I don't think with making a profit, you don't want to make a loss. I mean, Crass made a loss, Joy Division made a loss, uh, or was it New Order? But I think it was New Order. And they put Blue Monday up, they made a loss on every cop in the sold. Nothing wrong with making a profit. I suppose it's the idea about is it going to, you know, shareholders and, and where do where's it go to from there? The way I see the world, it's very much from a class perspective. Working class is about a working class thing. Working class people being able to afford culture, music, whatever you want to call it. How pricey it is now, you know, you look now and it is still pricey. Going on a few years from the 1980s, just, you know, if you don't mind, if I just pick up about the, the indie thing again. I drifted, not drifted, but 
I suppose naturally evolved into me. Your, your musical tastes get a bit wider. You start to get interested in other things. And um, I, I knew a few people who'd been into punk music who then started becoming really involved in rave and dance music and uh, acid house. And what struck me then at the beginning of it was certainly that same thing. The music was different. Probably not that different in, in tempo and intensity. To begin with, it was, um, again, it, it was entirely spontaneous, very libertarian, you know, do whatever you want as long as you don't harm other people and just put on music, in the, you know, get a generator. A lot of hard work there, which I think in the end got ruined by certain people. I remember then getting into um, a band that you might, that I think is probably, the, you know, quite punk, in inverted commas, in their attitudes, and that was um, the KLF. The KLF were, uh, as you know, I don't series of number one records, but they deliberately set out to, they said to people, follow this formula and you will get a number one record. I knew, um, I used, well, I used to know one of the uh, lads who was in Chumbawamba, both, and we were talking about um, the KLF and he was, we were both saying, absolutely fascinating because they were subversive in the way that they said, follow a formula for producing a single and it will get you to number one and it and lo and behold it worked for them but they put everything else out on their own label uh, KLF Communications and I, I saw that link as it were between punk ethic of the early 80s and then uh, some dance uh, rave bands that acts were putting up were putting out in the early 90s so I think to a certain extent it continues and I'm going to sound like I know what I'm talking about here and this is a the listener should bear in mind that I don't. The medium has changed now, but at one time you could get a guitar, you could maybe learn, you know, a few chord shapes and have a basic, you know, 4-4 four, four time uh, drum beat and you could create a song. Now, of course, I think um, computer programming has absolutely opened it up. I've tried to do it. I can't pretend that I know how to do it on a computer. But that, I think, is text away. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it needs to be classed as good or bad. It is just there. It's just something that is. But that is something that I think um, opens up opportunities for people to, to make music. I was, was a bit of a snob about it. I used to think, oh, no, you've got to have guitars. And, uh, you know, if you ain't got real guitars, real bass player, real drums, it don't mean anything. And funnily enough, it were, I'll tell you what it said. It was Phil, what's his name? Phil Oakey. Or Oakley. I can never fill look at him from the human league. And he said some at the time he said, if you're trying to create an emotional response, you can do that on synthesizers and on computers. You've just got to have the creative mind. You've got to know know it when you hear it. And I thought, oh yeah, it's a good idea. So maybe we're not playing um in a major chord on on, on six string electric guitar anymore. There's still people doing stuff. Just do it differently. I suppose some of the things I try to do now is to learn from, you know, when I was interested in punk music. One one of the things I think I've learned about punk music, but particularly from Crass, is it is okay to have your own opinions, even if they are at odds. One thing that I've heard people say, and it got me thinking, is about, oh, if you if you like Crass or if you like conflict or if you're into punk music, you should adhere to a certain set of beliefs you should not do this you should you know you've got to be a, a vegan 
should uh, maybe leather. You know, you you shouldn't be into music for to make a living, for example. And I actually think, well, no, I think what bands like Crass really thought was come to your own decision. It doesn't matter what the decision is, but think about it. Think critically about things. And that is why now, thinking critically about things, I don't know if you've ever heard of, um, I'm going to sound like I'm an academic now, and although my job is a bit academic, there's <laughs> a, a writer called Hannah Arendt. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. A Jewish writer, and uh, she wrote a book called The Origins of Totalitarianism, wrote about you know, the rise of the Nazis and stuff. The final chapter in that book is going on about totalitarianism and ideology. And what she said is, ideology is where we, when, when someone asks you a question or when you're asked to view the world, instead of you know, critically thinking about the situation, having philosophy answer the question, you know, should we meet? Is, is violence ever justified? These sort of things. What, what Hannah Arendt said is that people look at the world through an ideological lens. So they'll say, ah, well, socialism, you know, totalitarianism, or whatever it is, whatever ism it is, you know, whether it's current ideology, you end up looking at the world through that lens and that gives you the answer. And I think, actually, if you use that, if, if you start to look at things through that sort of ideology, you know, like thinking, oh, no, I believe this, so it means that all conservatives are evil people, or it means that all policemen are the scum of the earth, you start to get a very binary view of the world, and and it doesn't help you. And actually, it doesn't help you get your views across because you only end up mixing with people that agree with you. You know, these people talk about echo chambers. And what I teach now, um, I... I I used to do a manual job for many years and uh, I took redundancy. I was a shop, I was a, I won't call it a shop steward, but I was a union rep at work and I still am. I think that's how, that's something that punk has definitely uh, left a legacy with me. Um, one thing I don't like saying is um, I don't like people particularly being bullied. I don't like underdog being bullied. The other thing is just because somebody says you've got to do something, a manager says something, I think I'm, you know, I think it's okay to say no. I'm not going to do it. And you know, we sometimes get. In fact, this did happen to me in my previous job, where they might say, "Well, you either like it or lump it," and I would say, "Well, there is a third choice. I don't like it, and I'm not going to lump it. So what I would like you to do, Mister Manager, I'd like you to change, and I'm willing to give you some time to change. And of course, they look at you. Who do you think you are? I'm the manager. I say, I know you're the manager, but if you don't like it, you can lump it. You can find another job." You know, and it's this thing, what, what you learn is, is use, think who your adversary is and use their words against them. So being a, being a union rep, to me, is not about politics. Um, I've been on strike and I'm not convinced it, it, it's the right thing to do. I think the miners were definitely right in 1984. That's the other thing that had an enormous impact on my life. Listening to Stations of the Crass woke me up. The minor strike made me realise it's about class. This is where the, what the struggle is about. You cannot rely on, on unfortunately, on middle classes to come and help you. What legacy is it left? I think that's what we're going to say. Well, yeah, I think things like um, realising that sometimes, and it's going to sound a bit heavy, sometimes you've got to realise that you are the problem or you're part of the problem. And I probably have been. You know, sounds like a bit of a confession, but... You know, we're all flawed people. 
and we're, we're all imperfect and actually sometimes it, even if it's small on a small scale it isn't somebody else you can be angry about at the world for something and you think actually maybe it's me maybe i'm the problem for being so bloody angry and then you get angry with people around you and it ain't nice for them people can be a bit intense politically what i've learned from punk is that it, no political movement, no cultural movement has all the answers. We've all got to just get through life and just try and think about others if you can. I've done a lot of charity work. I've been a blood donor. To me, thinking we all live in a community, whether we like it or not. If some people are saying, well, I'm an anarchist, I won't live outside the system, that's great. But then you've got a lot of hard work to do. If you don't want to call the police, teach law and um, look at um, studies, study into terrorism now, you look where people don't call the police, don't go to settle things in court, but they've still got to have robust methods, of robust ways of settling disputes. What are you going to do when you get into trouble? How are we going to solve these things? Are we going to outsource policing to the police? Or are we going to say, well, as a community, no, it's, it's our responsibility. Thinking critically about things. Do get piano lessons, still play the guitar a bit. I could never be bothered joining a band again, not a punk band. I still like uh, listening to some stuff. This is a bit like when you're on Radio 1 and you say, right, can I just say hello to my mum and my dad and my sister and, and, and any, anyone else who knows me doing these podcasts, what you're doing with these podcasts. I actually think it's really good to record um, social history and working class history. We all think, oh, it's a gig that went to and nothing will come of it. Four years ago, just over four years ago, my dad died. That was probably, along with Stations of the Cross and the Miners' Strike, it was the third most significant, massive impact in my life. But in a good way, because it, it just really made me think about, you know, what his values were. And he was really into his music. And you discover, you know, like, well, he was into, he wasn't into punk. He didn't like crass. But he was into jazz and uh, did a, he did like a, a radio programme. And he, but he used to write accounts of, of things, a bit like what you're doing. Of course, you know, it was all written written accounts and, and it's fascinating to read some of it and keep in a diary so I think it's good because it might seem trivial but these sort of accounts they're like mass observation these are accounts that people in a hundred years time might wonder who crass were might wonder where Bradford was on the map England's been flooded and uh, it's the new capital um, thanks for inviting me um, <laughs> I can't think of I was going to finish off with some jokes but um I end up having to explain the punchline, so no, that's fine. Th thanks, Alison. No, thank you.